if you fall asleep during the sermon, even if you listen to nothing else, you'll get the big idea if you listen to what I'm going to say now. The big idea of this morning is this. God does not and will not condemn us even though we are far from perfect. If we are in Christ, if we're Christians, God does not and will not condemn us even though we are far from perfect. Let's pray as we come to look at this part of the Bible together. Lord, thank you for the Bible and thank you that you speak to us through it. And Father, I pray no matter who we are here this morning, no matter our background, no matter our situation, that you would say something to us this morning through this part of the Bible. Speak, O Lord, and give us ears to hear and receive what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, can you relate to these words that Paul wrote in Romans 7? I do not understand what I do. You ever had a moment like that? You do something and you kind of hit yourself in the head and think, why on earth did I do that? Why on earth did I do that? Have you ever had that experience? Or what about the next one? What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. There's something and and you want to do this thing and it's a good thing and it's a right thing and you want to do it, but instead of doing that, what do you do? You do things you hate. You do things you're ashamed of. You do things you regret. What about the next one? I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I don't do the good things I want to do, but, but there's certain things and I just keep on doing them. And they're destructive for me and they're not helpful for me and they're not good and they're not what God wants, but yet I feel like I just keep on doing them. I wonder, can you relate to Paul's words this morning? Steve is our first man on the screen and Steve, he can relate to these words. Steve has been a Christian for as long as he can remember. Ever since he was a little boy, he can't remember a time when he didn't love Jesus. And yet Steve also, from that moment and for his whole life, has also struggled with honesty. Steve wants to be honest. He wants to tell the truth, but he just finds he can't keep doing it continually. When he tells a story, he embellishes it a little, adds in a few details to make it sound better than it was. Whenever he's asked certain things that are going to get into trouble, he just lies straight to people's faces so that he's not condemned by them. Steve loves to exaggerate things. Steve loves to twist the truth ever so lightly so that things go in his favor. Steve does this over and over and over, and Steve thinks to himself, I don't understand why I keep doing this. Steve relates to Paul's words. So does Alison. This is Alison. And, and Alison's issue is that Alison always really wants to help other people. She knows it's good to help other people. She knows it's good to listen to people with their problems. She knows it's good to get alongside people in her family and her church who are struggling. She really wants to be someone who's there for other people. But she never is. She never really gets round to it. She even has opportunities, very clear-cut opportunities to help others. But she never steps up. She never steps in. She makes excuses, I'm too busy, I I don't have enough time, I, I don't have the resources. The good she wants to do, Alison finds herself not doing. This is Mike, and Mike can relate 
to Paul's words. And Mike can't remember being a Christian as a kid because he wasn't. Mike grew up in a home where God wasn't mentioned, where, where Jesus wasn't mentioned. He has no religious background. But whenever Mike was at university, he heard about Jesus and he gave his life to Christ. And he's been living this vibrant Christian life ever since. But you see, whenever life is really hard for Mike, you see, whenever Mike feels under pressure, you feel, see, whenever Mike is stressed, he runs back to some of the comforts of his old life. Sometimes he runs to pornography and he, he invests his time there as an escape and as a release. Sometimes he runs to, to alcohol and he, he runs there and gets so drunk just to escape his worries. Sometimes he, he runs to drugs and he takes those again just to escape the pressure and stress of life. And he knows these things are not good for him. He knows these things are not helpful. He knows these things are doing him harm and not good. And yet Steve, when he's under pressure, just seems to run to those places naturally. Steve, sorry, Mike relates to Paul. And so does Samantha. Samantha, again, has been someone who's been following Jesus for a while now. But Samantha has got a problem. She cannot control her anger. Samantha has tried. Samantha wants to change. Samantha feels bad about her anger, but she keeps on being angry. She speaks words that are abusive. She speaks words that bring people down. She speaks words that assassinates people's character behind their back. She speaks words that are like arrows launched only to injure. She hates it about herself. She hates it. She hates it. She feels guilty about it. She feels bad about it, but it's like it's just in there and she cannot stop herself doing it. What about you? If you were to look into a mirror this morning and you were to look into that mirror honestly this morning and really look at your life and your words and your actions, can you relate to Paul in any way? Are there times when you can say with Paul, I don't understand why I do this. I don't understand why I've done this. Are there times that you could say, you know, what I want to do, the things I want to do, I don't do. Instead, I keep doing these things that I hate. Can you relate to Paul this morning? One of the things that might surprise you if you're new to church or new to Christianity is that Paul is what I might call a super Christian. Paul who wrote this, Paul who writes this in Romans chapter 7, he's what I would call a super Christian. I mean, he wrote half of the New Testament. He spent his life as a missionary telling people about Jesus. Paul was someone who trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. Paul was someone who was a new person. He was changed when he trusted Jesus. He used to kill Christians or persecute them. Then he became one and talked about Christ to people. Paul had a deep relationship with God. Paul had new desires to be like Jesus. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had power to resist sin and live a new life. Paul was different than he used to be. And yet Paul, we find in Romans chapter 7, still had struggles with old sins, still had old habits that died hard. Paul did things he didn't understand. 
Paul didn't do the things that he wanted to do. Paul was a man who can relate to all of us, a man who struggled with sin. And what I want to say this morning, before we get to the really good news of Romans chapter 8, is I want to just remind you this morning that in this life, there will always be a struggle with sin. Uh, Christ has died, and, and our past, our sin is forgiven. We've been filled with the Spirit, and we're, we're fighting against sin, and we're empowered to do that, but we will not be sinless, and the fight against sin will not be over until the new creation. Part of being a Christian is struggling and fighting against sin. The old us, who we were before Jesus, he's still there, she's still there. And so we're always going to struggle with sin. There's always going to be times when we do things we don't understand. Why did I do that? There's always going to be times when we think, why didn't I do that good thing I wanted to do? We're always going to relate to Paul's words. But here's a question, what's the result? Whenever you can relate to Paul's words, what's the result in your life? How do you feel? How does it affect you? You know, whenever you say that thing or you do that thing, you think, why did I do that? How does it affect you? Whenever you see the good thing you could have done and wanted to do and didn't do it, how does it affect you? I'm going to suggest that there are two good ways your sin might affect you or two good kind of responses or results of your sinning like this and one really bad one. So let me head out the, the two good ones. The first good thing that will happen or should happen whenever you sin like this is that you will experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you sin in this way, the Holy Spirit will convict you. The Holy Spirit will actually show you that this was wrong. You see, if you're sinning and you're thinking, this is all good, it's all fine, I have no big deal, it's because you're not convicted by the Spirit. So it's a good thing when you sin if you have this conviction. So a good thing that will happen, one result is that you will feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? Well, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on a sin that you're committing. He'll put his finger very specifically on something you're doing or saying. It'll be really concrete what he puts his finger on. It'll be so concrete you can confess it and name it. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on you, you know exactly the problem in your heart or your life or your actions or your words. The Holy Spirit then does something else which is wonderful. He shows us the friend of sinners. He shows us Jesus. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, he doesn't just show us our sin, but he shows us the Savior. And the Holy Spirit prompts us to look to Christ for forgiveness, to look to Christ for, for cleanness, to look for Christ for, for forgiveness of sin. So the good news when we sin and the Spirit convicts, we're, we're pointed to Christ. The Spirit also shows us that we can change. He reminds us that we can actually turn from this. The Spirit says to us, listen, you're not stuck here. And you won't be stuck here, but you can change and you can repent, you can turn. You have the power to change. And the Holy Spirit gives us a hatred of sin in our heart. I wonder if you experienced that at times. Maybe in the past week you've experienced the, the conviction of the Spirit. I want to say that is a good thing. That's good to have experienced that. That the Spirit's revealing our sin and pointing us to Jesus. Another good thing that we might experience is the rebuke of a Christian friend. In fact, may I just say maybe the loving rebuke of a Christian friend. 
Uh, it's no accident that God has put us together in community to live for Jesus. When we try to live for Jesus alone, we, we, we can't do it. But he's given us community so that we can be encouraged along the way. And if you sin, if you struggle with sin, if you sin publicly, then something else that you might experience, which is a good thing, is the loving rebuke of a friend who you trust. They might talk with you about your actions. They might remind you of the biblical truth of how they were against what God wants. They might help you to repent and and help you to see how you might turn from those to, to make better choices. And they'll always point you to Jesus, the friend of sinners, the one who forgives. And then they should pray with you and they should support you in the struggle. Friends, if we sin and we're convicted by the Spirit or we're rebuked by our friends, these are good things. So good, they hurt, but they're good, good things. But what I think many of us experience whenever we sin, what I think many of us experience is not so good. I think that for many of us, whenever we sin, the thing that we experience more than the conviction of the Spirit and more than the rebuke of a friend is the accusation of the evil one. In Revelation chapter 12, the enemy of God, Satan, he is called the accuser of believers. And what Satan likes to do when we sin is he likes to point the finger and say, look at you. Look how terrible you are. You really think you're a Christian, do you, and you're living like that? You really think God could love you and you're doing those things? You're not a Christian. You're not good enough to be one. Satan accuses and he paralyzes us. He makes us feel helpless. He makes us feel hopeless. He makes us feel like we've no hope of forgiveness and no hope of change. The evil one wants to get us out of the game. He he wants to stop us looking for Jesus. He wants to stop us trying to live for Christ. And so he just accuses and accuses and accuses and whispers in our ear, you are not good enough. You're not a Christian. You are deluded if you think you're forgiven. I wonder, have you had that experience? Martin Luther, one of the reformers, had this experience in his life a lot. And he'd say, whenever Satan comes and tells me these things, I say, and what of it? And what of it? I have a Savior who died for me, who bled for my sins, who forgives me completely. When we feel that accusation, that should be our response to look to Jesus. But I wonder this morning, if you're a Christian here, and and yes, you experience conviction, and yes, you experience rebuke sometimes, and yes, sometimes you experience this accusation, but I wonder, are you here this morning? And even though you know Jesus has died for you, I wonder this morning, do you sit here and you just wonder whether or not you're really going to be saved on judgment day? I wonder, do you sit here this morning and you just wonder, am I really going to be declared sinless and innocent? You know that you're like Steve and Allison and Mike. You know that you're like Paul. You know that you sin and you struggle with sin. You know that you fail. You know that you don't do the things you want to do. And maybe you sit here and just at the back of your mind, there's just this little niggle. Am I really going to be okay on that day? 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning and there is just that worry, will I be condemned? Am I going to go and be with God in heaven and on the new earth or will I end up in hell? Maybe that concerns you this morning. Maybe you're troubled by that this morning. Well, if you are, Romans chapter 8 is written to, written to you, the troubled Christian. And look how Romans 8 starts. Look what he says there in verse 1. Take a Bible and look with me at verse 1. He says, therefore, so he's talking about what he's just talking about, Jesus. Jesus died for sin. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul says there? He says, listen, you troubled Christian." Listen, you Christian who can relate to what I've just said in Romans 7, who keeps sinning and failing and you feel like a failure and you're worried about condemnation. Listen to this, my troubled Christian friend. There is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. On that day of judgment, when we stand before God and everyone gives an account of their life, we're going to have things that we've sinned, but there's going to be no condemnation for those in Christ. No punishment. No eternity separated from God. None of that. For those in Christ, there is no condemnation. But notice carefully, it's for those who are in Christ. He doesn't say this applies to everybody. He says it applies to those who are in Christ. What does that mean? It's those who've trusted in Christ. Those who've said, listen, I'm a mess, I'm a failure, and I trust Jesus to forgive me. It's for those who are in relationship with Christ, those who talk to Christ, those who walk with Christ. Those who are in Christ, who have a relationship with Christ, who trust in Jesus, who live his way, those who are in Christ, Paul says, will not face condemnation. This morning as you sit here, let me ask you a question, and it's a very easy one. Are you in Christ? Think about it just for a second, please. Think about it. Are you in Christ this morning? Have you trusted in him to forgive your failure? Have you trusted in him to forgive your past mistakes? Are you trusting him now to forgive you when you mess up and you can relate to Paul's words? Are you in Christ? Well, friend, if you are, the good news is that there is no condemnation coming for you. Even right now before God, he doesn't condemn you. You don't stand condemned. And maybe you're wondering, well, Marty, how can I be sure of this? I mean, this sounds great. Sounds really good. Trust in Jesus for forgiveness. There's no condemnation, but how can I be sure that this is true? Well, it brings us to your passage in Romans 8, 33 to 34. Have a look with me there. We can be sure because, first of all, God is the judge, and because we've trusted Jesus, he's declared us just. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So we might condemn ourselves. Oh, you're a terrible Christian. We might have people around us who condemn us. You're a terrible Christian. Satan might accuse us, you're a terrible Christian, but ultimately it doesn't matter what any of those people think. Because only God judges us. And God the judge, because we've put our trust in Jesus, declares us just. He, he declares us having a sinless record, the same record as Jesus. 
I want you to imagine that this is you. Hi, it's like a wee puppet, it's terrible. Okay, so this is you, okay? And I want you to imagine that, that the ceiling is God, okay? And I want you to imagine that this book, it's the Bible, but I want you to imagine for a second that this book is the record of your life. So all the good stuff's in here, you're proud of it, but all the stuff you're not proud of is in here. All those words you wish you'd never said, all those things you wish you'd never done, all those thoughts that you just couldn't ever have anyone know about, they're all in here. Well, this is on us. This is on our record. And it separates us from God. And when we die, if this stuff is on our record, then we will be punished. We will face condemnation according to the Bible. The wages of sin is death. Now this hand, this is Jesus. And if you have a look there, he's got no book. He was perfect. He was innocent. He was sinless. He was wonderful. He always did the things that God wanted him to do. He never said the things that destroyed or brought down. He was perfect. And the amazing news of the Bible is that whenever we trust in this perfect one who died, when we trust in his death, when we trust in Jesus then what happens is that, that our sin is put on him and God punishes him for our sin and God now looks at us like we are sinless. Friend, even though we sin, even though we relate to Paul, all of those sins, if we've trusted in Christ, are upon Christ. And even though we deserve punishment, God looks at us and sees that our record is now the record of Jesus. We won't be condemned, verse 33, because God has justified us. I like justified, it's just as if we'd never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned because of Jesus. And then if you want more proof, then we look at verse 34. Who is, it, who is he that condemns? Who's gonna condemn you? Well, no one, why? Because Jesus Christ, look at verse 34, he died. He took the condemnation he took the sin. He took the punishment. You know the words of the hymn, don't you? No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. We don't dread condemnation because Christ has died for us. The other hymn too, man of sorrows, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Our sin has already been condemned in Christ in his death. And then if you look what happens next, Jesus Christ who died more than that who was raised to life. Whenever God raised Jesus to life, it was like he said, yep, he's done it. I accept what he's done on your behalf. You won't be condemned because Christ died and he rose and God accepted his death on your behalf. And then I love the last thing there. Look at that. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I don't know if you've, any of you have ever been up in court, but whenever you go to court, you don't defend yourself, do you? No, you hire a lawyer, and the lawyer represents you to the judge. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus, he is sitting beside the judge all the time. He's at the right hand of God the Father, and there he's representing us. He sits there as the one who's paid the penalty for us. He sits there as the one who's already been condemned. He sits there 
representing you and I. We will not face condemnation if we are in Christ because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is at the right hand of God and he represents us. And unlike human lawyers, he will never lose a case. I've died for their sin, Father. I've been punished instead of them. I was condemned so they will never be. He will never lose a case for anyone who trusts in him. And this morning, if you're a Christian, I just want to also encourage you that the troubles you face in life, that's not condemnation or punishment. If you're finding life hard just now, if you're going through a rough time just now, if you're in physical pain just now, your marriage is difficult or, or parenting's hard or you're depressed or you're struggling, this is not punishment. It's not condemnation. There is now no condemnation. Friends, if you're a Christian here tonight, if this morning, if you're in Christ, then I hope these words are a comfort to you. There is no condemnation. Romans was written to Christians, but my guess is that this morning as we gather here, there are some of you who are not in Christ. And the problem with reading these words from Romans chapter 8 is that although they comfort troubled Christians, they, they trouble those who are not yet Christians. Because if you are not in Christ, these are actually very troubling words. You see, the Bible says that people are destined to die once and then after that face judgment. And everyone longs for that, no matter if you're a Christian or not. We want the bad people of this world to be judged, don't we? We want those people who got away with evil to be judged, those like Hitler and and those who do evil things, those who abuse children and get away with it, those who ruin lives and get away with it. We want there to be judgment, and very often there's not in this world. We long for God to judge. But the problem is that all of us will stand in the dark. It's not just Hitler, it's not just child abusers, it's, it's normal people like me and you. And the problem is that whenever we stand in the dock, all of us have got sin on our record if we haven't trusted Jesus. We're going to stand in the dock and we're going to be guilty. We're going to stand in the dock and if the sin is on our record, the gavel is going to fall and we will be condemned. And we will be apart from God for eternity and apart from his goodness. That's what the Bible teaches and it's, it's not a particularly pleasant thing and it's not a nice thing, but that's what it teaches. And I'm like a postman, I'm just delivering the message in the mail. We will all stand in the dock. In the USA, um, city councils have the power to condemn houses. They don't have it here, I don't think, but they do in the USA. And basically, if a house is filled with mold that is dangerous, or if a house has been built in a certain way where it might collapse and be dangerous to the people living in it, then the city officials, they go and they place this notice of condemnation on it. They put a notice of condemnation on the building, and they say to the people who own it, they say, listen, you have two choices. Fix it like we tell you, or else the building will be destroyed. Fix it our way, or the building will be destroyed destroyed it will be demolished and friends all of us have this notice of condemnation we've all got it on our lives we've all sinned we've all fallen short we all do and say things we regret 
But the great news is that Jesus will fix it for you. He's died so that you can be forgiven. He's died so you can have this condemnation notice removed. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're here, if you've been coming to church for years and you've not yet put your trust in Christ, please do it and escape the condemnation that is coming. John 3.16, it's the most wonderful verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What wonderful news. And then verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Brilliant, Jesus has come to save us. And then there's even better news. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. It's so easy. Trust in Christ, be forgiven, escape condemnation. But then there's these sobering words. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you believe in him? If you're a Christian, be comforted. No condemnation is yours because of Christ. If you're not, please trust in the Savior. Please put your hope in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that he has died so that we can be forgiven. And I thank you that he gives us power to change and power to live a new life. Father, this has been a difficult message to preach because there's some difficult things in it but I pray that you would take your word now and implant it in our hearts. And I pray, Father, for anyone who doesn't know you yet, that you will bring them to trust in Christ and be forgiven and be made new. Continue to speak to us. Even after we leave this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.